How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to In the Fire Garden. It's been a little bit. I think this episode 10 or 11. I really can't remember now. But the new episode here with Luke Johnson. Uh, and then talk, talk about his new book, Quiver. Luke helped me out by sending me an e-version. So I printed it out. So this is what the cover looks like. It's not in, co- it's not in color. And it wouldn't be on these uh, 8x11s. But this is what uh, his, new, his uh, first collection is called, Quiver. And it looks like that from and so about luke johnson luke johnson is the author of quiver out with texas review press he's also a finalist for the jake adam york prize the levis award the vassar miller prize and the brittingham his second book a slow indwelling a column response for the poet megan merchant is forthcoming from harbor editions in the fall of 2024 you can find more of his work at canyon review prairie schooner narrative magazine poetry northwest and elsewhere connect with him on twitter at Luke's rant or through email at writers uh, or FMB at gmail.com. Uh, both of those will be linked in the description. And also his website will also be in the description as well. So all, all the ways to connect with him uh, will be in the description of this video. <clears throat> and so Luke, thanks for joining me today. I'm very excited to talk about your, your rad collection. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Like I told you, it's a treat. Uh, I, I love the interviews that you've done so far and uh so I'm glad to be included. Yeah, and I was ec- ecstatic when you got a collection. I know I did, I don't want to say finally because uh, you're, you're young and everything, but it feels like finally because you've been in because I've been re- following you because uh, we follow each other on Twitter and I've been keeping up with all your poems that have been uh, everywhere. So when you find when you got a collection, I was like, oh, finally that, that that's a these, fair response. Yeah, that all these things are going to be collected because you you've been like I I just found everywhere. And they're they're all so great that I was like, ah, oh, these poems need to be in a collection. So now now that we got one for you, uh, tell me about how kind of that that came about. Texas Review, what made that seem like the right fit? The the book, how do you go about assembling it? So the oldest poem in this book is about uh, gosh, almost ten years old. Um, <clears throat> it was um, a poem that came out in the Greensboro Review, and that even predates my my MFA. Um, most of the poems were written during my MFA or around then and then of course the last few years since i graduated i've I've been including other pieces as well so it's been a long time coming i mean you're not the only person who's who said finally i think i've said finally about five thousand times um the book as you read in my bio was (laughs) a bridesmaid quite a few times with some pretty nice prizes um and uh at the end of the day it's nice to be a finalist but your book's still not published so (laughs) um and so, yeah, finally, uh, Texas Review Press. Um, you know what? It's funny because, I, and I actually love this question because I, I feel like I just want to share some stuff about this, but like, for, I actually got a book offer before Texas Review Press um, with a press that um, was, was strong, uh, but just my book just didn't feel like a fit there. Um, and so I took the risk by actually not taking the, the offer. And I'm thankful that I did because I landed with TRP, Texas Review Press, led by the amazing editor, Jay Bruce Fuller, whose book's coming out with LSU. He's also a great poet. Um, and he's just, I've been excited about their energy over there for a long time. It's, it's a nice, diverse catalog with different poets from all walks of life. And they do a great job marketing the press, marketing their poets and their writers. Um, it's just one that I've been paying attention to for a long time. And so when this book got picked up in an open reading, um, 
I want to say competition, but open reading period, uh, <clears throat> it just felt like a no brainer. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome because I <clears throat> I know a couple of people that have some stuff forthcoming from TRP and it, their catalog does <clears throat> it is it is strong like you said before that and it's definitely getting a lot stronger with stuff coming out now. That, that's very cool that <clears throat> you you know, follow your gut to <clears throat> you know kind of resist the yeah from one place. That's very interesting. It's it's risky. It's funny because I that's the first time I've actually ever shared that. Really, I mean, I have a couple of friends who know. I think I've always feared sharing that, but because I don't want to sound arrogant or I'm not appreciative. Uh, but I also think it's important that poets might talk a little more about that because sometimes, you know, we're all we have, you know, we get such a small sliver of yeah. the public the publishing industry that sometimes I think we can out of desperation just leap towards the first, you know, thing. And I'm not saying anything negative about that, but um I think sometimes it's good to be patient and uh and to wait for a press that you know is going to market your book, love your book, or books, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's it feels good to actually kind of say that because I haven't really shared that much. Yeah, and like, like you said, I think fit is important because uh, that that's kind of a word that that you hear a lot in publishing anyway, especially with journals and submitting individual poems. You you hear fit a lot, but thinking about it as a book. Uh, with, with the catalog of a press is is definitely important because like you said you you want your book to kind of blend into the catalog and then yeah. feel like it, it fits the mission of the press so that they they yeah. market it and love it and like like you said maybe there's other other books down the line with them <clears throat> yeah exactly yeah and the the yeah poetry is rough because like you said the vena bridesmaids are great in in those competitions but they only there's so many poetry book competitions they and they take one and <laughs> so, so i was like man uh, it can be a real kind of bummer yeah it's like it feels good for you know a day and uh you know you feel i guess i guess being a finalist for these prizes is nice because it inspires you to kind of keep keep going um so i guess in that sense it pays pays for the experience of it all but um but yeah at the end of the day like your book is still unpublished you know yeah what, so. what i like about trp is i do like their their open reading call because then it's just kind of a generic like everyone sends stuff in and i think they take a, a couple of books even from that call so it's kind of just like a not just one out of three thousand or whatever but they'll take a handful yeah uh, and that, and that's that's pretty nice that that you know makes people feel like yeah it, or it's just nice to see like you know a, a press uh, announcing kind of a lot forthcoming at one time yeah, and I also feel like, uh, you know, we can, here we are getting off now on this rant, but I think it's important that we talk about it. I, you know, I think we get trapped in the awards culture too. And, um, you know, TRP has awards, so I'm not like trashing, you know, people who want to get a prize or, um, I mean, I did it a, for a couple of years. I was working that circuit, but um, I, I've been encouraging like, a lot of my friends who are talented poets to look for those open reading periods with different presses. Um, at the end of the day, like you said, you know, you're, I think my book was one of five or one of four or five that was picked up out of like three or 4,000 submissions. And so I feel like in a sense, I kind of won a prize, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? It's like, I, so I've, I've been joking with my friends saying I won the open competition prize, you know, um, or the open reading prize, you know? Um, and so, yeah, just finding a way to like get your book in with any press that you feel like is a real fit, just do whatever you can. You know, it's like, if it's an open reading period, if it's even, you know, hitting up an editor and I mean, the worst I can tell you is no, or just ignore your email. You yeah, know, I mean, just 
whatever it is, you know, if there's a press that you feel like fits your book, go for it and just find a way to get that in front of that editor. You know? Yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. Also, I like that you mentioned your MFA because it reminded me, because I saw in, in your acknowledgments that you went to uh, Sierra Nevada. That's up in Tahoe, isn't it? That's the out of UNR. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, um, it was, it was like its own university for a while. It's own little, little private school up there yeah. in Tahoe. And then recently last year, Nevada Reno, um, which is always, always, there's always been this relationship between the two schools. Uh, I think like a lot of the teachers have taught at UNR and they also would teach at the MFA. And so it was kind of natural once it, it actually kind of made sense once it happened, but yeah, UNR ended up assimilating them into their university and um, the campus is still in a beautiful part of Tahoe, but now it's considered a UNR. So, yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's really cool. Cause I, I know some, well, basically a ton of my friends went to UNR just cause yeah. um, we grew up here, but I, I think I know someone that besides you who went to Sierra Nevada. So that's pretty cool. Cool. <laughs> uh, about, about quiver, some great uh, blurbs in here from Patricia Smith, uh, Matt Rasmussen, uh, Ellen Boss. Uh, I was wondering about like some poetic influences of yours that you think really helped shape you uh, and, and this collection in particular. Yeah, so it's funny. Uh, again, a great, a great question because um, I just love talking about lineage. And um, I kind of, I've been inspired and I think shaped by poets small walks of life it's just this quilt of different voices, um, you know? So like, <clears throat> I think, I think you can get a feel for that in the, those I wanted to blurb my book. I wanted to have this representation from all these different people. So, yeah, I mean, um, I consider myself a Fresno school guy, kind of a fringe Fresno school guy. So Larry Levis and Phil Levine and, um, Bridget Pagin Kelly's oftentimes associated with that school. And I've always kind of called myself a fringe Fresno school poet, but if I had to relate to one school, it's probably that. Um, but yeah, like so many poets have shaped me over the years, Ted Couser, uh, Patrick Phillips, uh, Sharon Olds, early work, Terrence Hayes, Hayes' early work. Um, I love the, uh, the poet, um, Timothy Liu based out of New York city. Um, he writes some great dark stuff. Um, Patricia Smith, of course, who I, I got to study with, uh, early William Williams. I mean, when I was early on, it was William Williams. I loved his sparse, his sparseness. Um, Charles Simic, who passed away about a year or two ago. Um, so yeah, I mean, a chorus of voices have really kind of shaped me as a poet. And then, when, and then I was lucky because when I went to Sierra Nevada um, College, it was called at the time. Um, like I said, I studied with Patricia Smith. I studied with the Lee Herrick, who's a Fresno uh, poet. Uh, Brian Turner. Um, I studied with. Uh, uh john john uh, mario i mean he was fantastic so i've even in school i had this kind of nice chorus of voices who spoke into my work yeah and that's i like that you like talking about lineage because that's in good because i mean not good but you lineage is such a powerful concept in the book as well that uh, I have quite a few questions about, but I figured before we, we kind of dive specifically into the book, maybe you'd be interested yeah. in reading a couple of things from the book. Sure. Kick us off yeah. there. Yeah. And just, just quickly about lineage when it comes to us as poets, it's weird. I've noticed with our generation or our crowd of poets, there's almost this obstinance to this concept of coming from a school of thought or a yeah. school. Of, and I, I mean, I'm not here to 
start a debate over that, but just I've always kind of wondered why. It's like, man, if so like for instance, like I consider myself a Fresno school guy. Why? Because Levine and Levis probably are the great greater voices that really kind of influenced my work. And um, why not pay homage to the poets that in essence spoke into our work, you know? Yeah. So that's just how I feel about it. I'm a big fan of lineage and, and kind of acknowledging that and certainly acknowledge roots of poets I think kind of shaped shaped me as well. I mean, starting out, I feel like I maybe resisted them being young, but then you kind of I feel like you turn into it kind of as you mature or because yeah. I feel like it, it to a degree certainly makes you better and stronger if, if you stop kind of resisting so much. The, right. The sh right. shaping influences. Yeah. Yeah. Would you like me to read a couple poems you said? Yeah, yeah. Whichever ones uh, strike you. Okay. Uh, well, we're talking about lineage. So I guess there is a lot of lineage in the book, a lot of, um, you know, or concepts around lineage. Um, so, you know, I can begin with a poem called Numbers 1418, uh, uh, which is an older piece. Uh, it was published in Tinderbox, and it's a scriptural reference that um, the scripture is essentially the sins of the father will affect the third and the fourth generation. And so there's this idea of lineage through the poem. Uh, Numbers 14, 18. I've never told you how my father tied a drunk man to a chair and snapped the first four fingers on his left hand. How the moon... A sickle soaked in milk hung center the window cracked from frantic birds and how the man, his dad, howled like a stray in the hills. The boys bragged of maiming. You might be wondering what happened to the fifth finger his thumb and whether it stayed straight or faced a similar form of fracture, but none of that matters. In the time it'd take to detail a thumb pried loose, I could move from the shed to the house a quarter mile north, where my nana swirls time and soup and sways her hips to Stevie Wonder, John Prine. How can she dance when the dead crawl inside? How can she dance with a body branded, owned by a beast, a belt that blooms the tremors? Believe when I tell you the fifth was spared, that my father ran out of brandy, out of spite, stopped soothing with brass, thought light, and stepped out deeply hidden, an animal crazed for water, that he found in his search an oasis, and there lapped stars until shame clotted, concealed, spread like mange, and swallowed him. Sometimes that's all that it takes, one taste, one, for Deadwind to enter and eat the insides of a boy, of a boy, of a boy, of a boy. Of a boy, of a boy, of a boy. I love uh, re you reading that one in, in particular because I love the choral kind of power you brought to that that closing there. Because uh, when I read it, I was kind of getting that too that that kind of like that kind of chorus power. But the what but to hear you read it because you have such a great reading voice too. <laughs> you really brought out like like a real intense power in, in that, those closing repetitions. I like that. Yeah. I remember when I, when I wrote that poem, that, that the reason I read that poem 
was because I've considered that piece integral to, uh, I think, my growth as a poet. It does two things. It pushes through that fourth wall they talk about where I began to realize I had authority in my poems where I could address the reader as this kind of storyteller and take the reader along with the speaker, the you know those involved in the story. And so um, that piece played a lot, I think, into the book's sort of evolution and... Um, and then also, uh, yeah, that that end was probably one of the first times I think I took a real risk with an end of a poem where I just wanted exactly what you said. I wanted that third and that fourth generation to be heard in those echoes. So, yeah. I'm glad you, you use the word storytelling because I actually have a question that uh, I'll save it. But it, it's about because I, I thought of you as a storyteller as well. So I'm I'm glad that I was kind of on the mark there then. Uh, down, so I'll ask that down the line, but it's like, oh yeah, I, I definitely feel like I I got a, a good sense then that because I'm glad you think of yourself as a storyteller because what I love is the stories in these poems. Yeah. shifting so if you want to read another one yeah i go for it. I'm, I'm just kind of digging through my sure well we'll stay we'll stay we'll stay in terms of you know we, we said stories so let me read another kind of story driven piece in that first section um and uh it's one of the heavier pieces i would say most of the work is um you know i consider myself a lyric storyteller i don't want to ever claim that this is like you know i'm not i'm not here writing a, a memoir um uh obviously my experiences have shaped these poems but this is probably the most true to form from a life life experience and it's at the end of section one it's um a poem called like a fish gasping and uh, it uses repetition to allow the speaker to turn and uh pivot and leap in the story into the experience um and Patricia Smith is to blame for this poem, which she has gladly taken credit for uh, because it takes quite a dark turn. So let me let me uh, read this poem. It was one of her prompts. I guess that's why she's to blame. Like a fish gasping. Did I tell you a boy was walking home from school when a woman asked him if he'd like a cup of juice? Did I tell you Jonah heard his mother's voice and muted her concern? Did I tell you the woman grew angry, began to weep, threatened to follow him home? Did I tell you Jonah ran? Did I tell you she set her three dogs loose to harm him? Did I tell you Jonah found his home, but the back door was locked? Did I tell you Jonah ran? Did I tell you Jonah never said no, that he found her offer kind, and besides, she was an elderly woman anyway? Did I tell you the home was large with locked windows, no dogs? Did I tell you Jonah sat down, his brow was warm, he needed just a sip? Did I tell you he had more than a sip? Did I tell you as he drank, his body began to wobble, he fell, he dreamed of fish fondled by blades? Did I tell you he woke with bloody fingers? Did I tell you he was my friend, he loved fingers, he liked to suck fingers? Did I tell you Jonah ran? Did I tell you he woke with his pants undone and a broomstick up his ass? Did I tell you Jonah liked fingers? I offered my fingers, found pleasure, strange pleasure, felt shame. I silenced the Lord. Did I tell you I silenced the Lord? Did I tell you I woke with a sheet over my mouth and Jonah began to piss? Did I tell you I swallowed piss? I gasped like a fish out of waves. Did I tell you I swallowed piss? Did I tell you 
Jonah ran, never came home, his body a house without windows. Did I tell you Jonah ran? Did I tell you he put a gun to his head and did what the whispers wanted? Did I tell you it wasn't his fault? Yeah, I'm glad you read that one because I always like that one, uh, especially the way you read it. But I, that one I, I really like because it's every line is so shocking. <laughs> like you, you get away with uh, so much in that poem of kind of every line being surprisingly audacious. <laughs> it, it's almost uh, kind of like a, how much can can the reader take of of uh, like an onslaught of oh my god, there's this. So I really like the the build throughout that poem because each line it, it gets sort of bolder than the next one all uh leading to this intense conclusion there that you get so i really like the i i don't like to use the word craft but i really like the, we'll say the craftsmanship of that poem because uh it's so i feel like risky going for that of like each line trying yeah. trying to really tax emotionally the reader yeah that's that's why i jokingly said i blame patricia for that poem because i think she was the real first person who told who, who saw my skill as a poet and then said let's take this to a whole new level as far as how brave you're going to be and uh audacity like you said how audacious are you going to be in your lyrics are you gonna um are you gonna write something luke that is gonna risk uh what people might think of you or or uh or you as a poet or or you know so on and so forth and so she was the first one who really kind of pushed me to just um trust my lyric uh my lyric verve to kind of lead the way in some of those difficult you know things that i write about yeah because i think uh your your the whole book definitely struck me uh because one of the the blurbs uh in there talks about the greek kind of quality of it and which i'll i'll get to later because i had a whole other thing for that but i would the whole throughout the entire collection i was thinking of the famous anna corinne opening all happy families are like but each one's unhappy in their own way and we right. we, we get the specificity of, of your family line of your experiences and so we know we we come to learn that the individuality of of your voice and and all the people that you evoke and not necessarily like unhappiness because the broad term but the everything that that you got that suffered uh by you yeah. and by the generations that, that you evoke so we, we learn all that uh very clearly uh yeah and i think well that comes through because uh you know i've been thinking a lot lately about expectations on artists uh in our culture and how how unfair that those, those expectations typically are it's like uh if you look around with two eyes and two ears you see that there's a lot of sadness and violence right now in the world and um but somehow for some reason poets are supposed to write about flowers yeah it's like um no don't i mean don't get me wrong i love flowers and i love you know going for walks and hikes and and uh enjoying the natural world which is why there's a lot of that in my book but um it's like we're the ones who are supposed to almost live in denial and create art out of denial and um that's just never felt fair to me. So I'm glad that that comes across that suffering in the book. Yeah. And, and like you said, the, the physical world, <clears throat> I'm glad you brought that up too, because I think that your collection, uh, just like the title, I want to get to the double nature of your title and everything too. But I think that your entire use of language <clears throat> is very double. Uh, and uh, that it's very, your collection is in, so intensely image heavy that, that I love it. It's, it's very uh, dense with the physical qualities of the world with its scenic power almost you're almost like a novelist in that kind of way where you conjure up 
a scene, but it, you also have all the emotive power of poetry, but we're, we're always in the place where you want, where you start the episode or the memory. And I really love that. So, cause you employ all these physical words, but each word uh, while conjuring the thing it is, you also have its, you know, you know, imbue it with its figurations, whether it's a symbol or it's a metaphor for something. So your objects, your images, they're always two things. They're themselves, they convey, they help you convey the mood and the scene of your story. But then they're also doing all that emotive work uh, for us behind the scenes. And, you know, that sounds like an obvious goal of poetry that you want words to do multiple things, but it's not always achieved. And I think that that your poetry throughout the book, you always hit hit the mark in that precision where we get the story, we get the moment yeah. conjured up uh, in all its physical details. But then all those details are so evocative and everything as well. So I was wondering uh, kind of well, about I... your language and how you how you, I mean, you talked about the MFA and, and all that and taking it to another level, but how you kind of go about achieving that that double nature of your words with such precision? Well, I think, uh, well, that's a great question. I think, uh, so the first thing I can say is um, I grew up loving sound uh, and I grew up in a house of music. And so I grew up listening to a lot of the great storytellers slash musicians, you know, um, the Stones and Al Green and uh, Emmylou Harris and John Prine, and, you know, all these great artists, um, Bonnie Raitt, I'll stop. I, I could probably keep going, but, um, and so I grew up with this ear for, you know, sonic, you know, for sounds. And so, you know, like I remember as a kid um, listening to like cars pass with a sleet of tires. And then I, I remember being like only like seven or eight years old. And I started taking the stick and, brush it against um a rake and i was just captivated by the sh you know um so i was this kid always drawn to i think sound and music and so um the reason i mentioned that is because um i think as a poet i consider myself a lyric poet first actually i mean i'm, I'm so drawn to sound um and i tr truly believe that it's the, that 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 the lyric is where you surprise yourself and pivots and turns in the story and so i would always consider myself a lyric poet first which i think adds some of that double meaning when it comes to me shaping a story or a scene or you know it's never just the thing it's the thing under the thing and uh and part of that's just just that this the sonic base of sound and and and, and this creative power of a poet, I think, uh, to create both song and story at the same time. You yeah. know, um, and then also, um, <clears throat> uh, um, I I I want to create like an atmosphere, um, like I'm thinking about the musician Bon Iver. Um, and how he's able to create this sort of atmospheric experience as a musician. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, I love movies. I'm a big movie guy and I love um, like, like the movie house experience and all the sensations of both the experience of sitting with a friend and eating candy and popcorn and soda while you're watching this incredible piece of art and how that creates in essence, this atmosphere, this mood of many moods. And so I think, um, my poetry is always trying to achieve sort of that <clears throat> the same thing that some of the great musicians do and also some of the great um, filmmakers do that sort of atmosphere the atmospheric quality of their art I think that that's what my poetry is always trying to aim to do as well so 
yeah i love that you brought up music because definitely there's that that sonic uh quality to your poems i like that you kind of see yourself not just uh coming from a tradition of poetry but a tradition of music because i always think of myself as before i latched on to any poet poet i could uh, consider myself in the school of bob dylan <laughs> that was my guy wow. all through middle school like i didn't i cause, mostly because i was in a band and everything so i was consider myself a musician before getting into all that yeah. wrote songs but yeah i i think like like you said you get into that kind of uh narrative songwriting lyrical thing and it kind of stays with you yeah and i think it's like uh you know i don't know i mean i guess all every poet gets to define what they want to do but i'm thinking to myself if i want to affect people um and so what better way than to create an atmosphere that <laughs> conjures images and sound in a way where they're thinking about it forever for days or you know to me that's that's quite an accomplishment as a poet specifically because we don't get to have a film with actual images on a screen or um, we're not actually getting to slap a bass or play a guitar riff you know we're having to do it all with words and so um you know it's 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 like it's like if i can accomplish that as a poet i feel like i've done what i want to do you know yeah and back to <clears throat> you being a, a storytelling poet and in this in this particular collection of family chronicler as well like a historian even in that uh because one of your blurbs also evokes the old testament which i think is also fitting in in that kind of chronicling of generations as well so there's a couple of, of uh things that were evoked that i want to go back to as well but <clears throat> i'm not such a i'm not it's not my ambition to be a categorizer of today's poetry so i'll just kind of speak uh, in an overgeneralization here, but a lot of it's kind of like confessional <clears throat> in a non sequitur kind of way where things are almost like associative and you got to do a lot of piecing together uh, of meanings to kind of get kind of what you're at, uh, what the people are up to where abstraction <laughs> in, in some camps, it's kind of divided between a bad word and, and a not so bad of a word, but people kind of frown upon it when people are always trying to lecture people <clears throat> on how to write. So you have like that kind of style going on uh today and not everybody like i said by and large but you get a lot of that but we have you who's very story centric where we have a starting point and yeah all the metaphors and everything take us through you know on a journey so it's not just like a straight linear beginning to end kind of thing we go through all the kind of poetic routes of trying to this means this but it also means this and and everything like that but nonetheless we have kind of a clear beginning here's a here's a memory that you start with or a moment in time that we're going back to and then you take us through through that so i was wondering like your your style uh you you went your own way with it you went in a very just luke johnson way where you're gonna be lyrical but narrative uh you're gonna tell the story of of like your family and and all this stuff but you're gonna do it in in a way that really stands out from a, what a lot of kind of writing is today certainly in the way it's told so i was wondering how you came to define that this is this is your style this is what works for you that's a great question um i don't want to answer that um well i'll just say it and whatever some if someone watches this and they get mad at me they can get mad at me we'll talk about it but i we're all dying um and so um, I don't really have now maybe this is coming from my life and I have three kids and a daughter who's dealing with chronic illness and so maybe this is my own life but 
you know, I'm already, you know, halfway through my life and it's just blurred by and um, I don't really have the time to read a poem and try and decode it for weeks. You know, um, I hope it doesn't come off dismissive, but if it does, I'm sorry. You know, I just don't have time for that. So, um, so for me, I'm trying to write poems that like, I don't want to say, um, I, I don't want to say are uh, reader, reader friendly, but are um, like one of the greatest compliments I got recently was from a, a friend of my mother's who actually purchased my book and she's not a poet and she's not a reader, even really a reader of poems, but uh, she was texting me cause she was reading my book and, and, and uh, she actually was like, maybe not grasping all of it. Cause you know, if you're not a poet, you don't really love poems. It's hard to always fully get all the meanings of things, but she was actually in the world of my book and like asking me questions about what I was doing here and doing there. And I thought, damn, this is cool. Like, like I have, you know, poets like yourself who I love and, and read, and then I have other poets and they're into the work. And then I also have these non poets or these working class people that, um, that uh, are reading my book and are able, like you said, able to be somewhere in the story, somewhere at least, and feeling some footing somewhere, you know, and experiencing these stories and, uh, and, and enjoying the lyrical sonic quality of them as well. And so um, uh, did I answer your question? That's... Yeah, no, yeah, no, just, I, I, I think, I think so. Cause you took us down like a, a, what's important to you about your poetry, which is to give people something to latch onto. And... Well, I just, I, I just feel like, I feel like, um, like, okay. Like, you know, we live in a violent culture and there's people dying from nuts who want to blow people away in a, in a, you know, in a poppy shop or in a whatever. And it's like, I, um, I just feel like if I can't give you something and whatever time you're going to invest in my work, then what am I doing? That's just how I feel about it. And so like, I, I guess what I'm saying is I value people's time. Um, if they're going to invest time into my, my work, then I would, I want them to at least be able to live somewhat in the world of my poems without having to spend weeks trying to decode what exactly I'm trying to say. I guess what I'm saying is I want to be more accessible than inaccessible. Yeah. I like uh, that. I think that the drive of all storytellers is to be accessible. Uh, Right, like right away, and then of course give people feelings that they linger onto. But the urgency to, you know, say what you want to say, and I, I think you definitely have that <clears throat> storyteller's urgency uh, that comes across so powerfully in the book as well. <clears throat> I think it was in <clears throat> a One Art, the the online poetry journal, that you published a suite called Memory. Mm -hmm. If I'm remembering that right, yeah, uh, that's not in here, but it in this collection. But I I was thinking back to that suite because I remember reading it and really liking that suite. Uh, and I was thinking like, oh, memory is uh, such an important concept to this collection as well. You know, being a storyteller or telling stories of this and chronicling kind of your family. And that's what I was lashing on to in, in the blurbs when the Greeks in the Old Testament were evoked. So I think you take you, you utilize memory in, in kind of both those traditions uh, in, in this book, which is uh, as the blurb notes, uh, there's, there's this tension between kind of the term the deterministicness of memory you know you like worrying that the family cycle of violence and everything is going to be doomed to repeat itself but then you have the the kind of biblical prophesizing that that you do as a poet in the in these poems where you're warning you're warning against that violence you're warning against that cycle you're you're calling out to to free yourself from that that chain of kind of a 
unhappiness or, or trauma and all these things. I really like the the tension that memory serves in there because it's both something to fear, but then both something that, that can allow you to free yourself and your family from <laughs> essentially your family and from time. So uh, <clears throat> I was wondering essentially like how important are, because you talked about a bunch about about a bunch of poets who are really important to you, but then of course you evoke the Bible a ton, uh, and of course given the kind of the ruralness of your poems, the Bible, every, even if people aren't don't main, maintain like a a sense of belief throughout their life, the Bible's like imprinted on them through there. So I was wondering like how important the Greeks and the that biblical tradition have been to you, and and how formative they've been kind of uh, to your conception of time, life, memory. Wow. Um, <laughs> well, I, um, yeah, wow. I, I did grow up in a, I grew up in a really kind of cool, weird, um, hippie congregation of um, evangelicals, actually, till about the age of, gosh, about 17 or 18 um and it was just this hippie group of people who found jesus on the beach and uh created this church you know and uh but never lost that 60s and 70s kind of freedom to themselves so um yeah so i mean so of course i grew up hearing sermons and um and hearing stories attached to life meanings and um you know i, I grew up listening to pastors preach on Sundays, I guess is what I'm saying. And so there's an oratory skill that I grew up listening to. And, um, and, uh, and so, uh, I felt actually, I have, I've had a lot of folks ask me about that, obviously, because you can just tell in the book, um, that there's some spiritual lineage attached to things too. Um, I don't quite know where God fits into all that, you know, um, I, I think maybe my draw, I think that there's an aspect of salvation in my poems, but um, maybe not from a classic concept of salvation, but like, I think that when you get to the, to the end of the book, you know, and there's now the speaker's now become a father and so obviously he's overcome, you know, uh, the first two thirds of the book, um, that in a sense of salvation. And then, and then he's able to begin to sort of create this new rootstock or this new belief system with his kids that is free from the trauma of the first two thirds of the book. And so, um, and then my second book is going to kind of go more into that direction as well. So um, trying to answer that question is a big one, but I, 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 so, so I do think that God plays a role in probably or, or concepts of God or religion um, definitely in the book and in my poems. Um, I think I'm thinking about a lot of different things I am thinking about, you know, salvation and what a salvation looks look like, you know, for situations and um, these larger concepts that I think I grew up with and I'm thinking of them um, and their duality, I think, and things like that. So yeah. I hope that answers, that answers some of that. Yeah, I, I like that because the sermon, that was the word that maybe I, I didn't key in on, but your, your poems definitely have because uh, I was thinking of like they, they have a prophetic power, but I think that comes from their their sermony uh, sort of drive, where you you have that like you said powerful oratory uh, skill, and so then of course you can lay things out in in that sort of uh, oratory. Yeah, 
And you know what's and you know what's cool is is so I guess not you know this is probably getting much closer to the answer of what you're asking is there's this marrying that happened in my life where you know I grew up in the church and I'm I'm thinking these big concepts right it has to do with like my spiritual upbringing and then and then poetry came into my life and there was this braiding and um, it's like I grew up listening to these incredible reverends give these sermons you know with such passion um to groups of people and, and to see people move be, be moved by that you know and then um and then i but really it was poetry really it was um it was great poets like larry levis who i think released what you're describing that oratory even deeper in me um because i went once once i once i read levis i went holy crap like that's a master because he there's an oratory storytelling that he does and he basically tells you where he's going to take you, but then you still go. And uh, if that's not pastoral, I don't know what is, you know, so. I, I, I like the the history of the, the kind of idiosyncraticness of the, the church that you particularly grew up on. It's this, these hippies with their own sort of stance, but they're evangelical in a way. Right. So I think that creates uh, that, tr that uh, upbringing establish like this kind of paradox that is uh, a foundational in your book because you have a title a poem title as the body breaks as whole which also serves as the first line uh, of that poem and i think that's perfectly fitting because it, it kind of espouses the principle of the entire book that you know we're stronger in the broken places like Hemingway said but i think uh, that also fits with your use of light and dark in the book because I, I i think we get the sense as readers <clears throat> that through your own <clears throat> experiences and your discoveries and the wisdom that you're kind of teaching throughout the book is that we get to see ourselves best in the dark or we're most illuminated uh, after uh, in the dark and, and or some variations of that where sometimes what's worst is all, is done openly in the light, but the, the darkness can be the most revealing as well, where sometimes the good is done in dark and all. The, so you, you have this kind of paradoxical power to there where <clears throat> the the darkness isn't isn't something necessary to fear but it, it's something that can also be very illuminating spiritually uh whatever kind of spiritually spirituality means to each kind of person but uh like you said there's that salvific quality of darkness that you go through uh as the the home as a speaker to come out the other side like you said in, in part four when you become a father and everything i think that's uh very powerful in here uh and i think that knowing about that commune that you were kind of in for lack of a better word uh really helps you know kind of me think about that a much clearer yeah <clears throat> so about jumping back to titles because i always i always jump on titles <clears throat> i really love that you chose quiver uh, as the title of this because it's it's the closing poem but it's also a word <clears throat> that you use a lot and not necessarily a lot but you use employ in, in other poems as well uh, and I think it, it's apt because you have it's a great image, but it's also a gesture where it can be like kind of anticipatory of, you know, something to fear, like you're quivering in, in fear, but we can also quiver in anticipation of, of something good. But it's also a receptacle, uh, in this case, of memories and everything. <clears throat> so I love uh, the, the duality of, of quiver of, as a title and everything it evokes and the way you employ it just throughout the book. <clears throat> so I was wondering how you... Because I always like, like I said, talk about titles. Um, 
how many titles did you like say cycle through when before deciding on quiver or was it kind of always like oh i know exactly that's the title no no no. i had a probably i went through probably four or five other titles before i landed on quiver and some of them i liked you know i thought okay this kind of works and it would have worked for the book i think it would have been fine but i um it just wasn't these titles i had weren't evoking this sort of that quality you're describing that that sort of um well it wasn't making a person quiver and i felt like the felt like the book was uh both a prophetic telling or telling or expert or ex, ex, there's an expectation in the book of doom obviously with salvific qualities attached to it and so i felt like these titles weren't giving you that feeling um and then all of a sudden one day i mean it really sounded not, not to make it sound too like woo woo but I was just like sitting on my couch and thought, man, none of these tunnels are working. And, um, and I just thought of that word and I just, and, and like you said, I loved the aspect of it as far as all the means of quiver, but I also did love the fact that a quiver is a physical, um, material used with a bow and arrow. And I love, I loved that because I, I see this book in a sense as an, as an homage to boyhood. Um, I want boys to be celebrated in their and their brutality and tenderness and the like, um, and not just seen as brutal entities that want to destroy things. And so, um, I did love that that part of of the, of the title quiver as well. Um, even though oftentimes, obviously, I use the word in the other sense, like you described. But um, I did love that it has this <laughs> meaning that's attached to boyhood because I really want to make it like I've made that really clear in talking with other folks about the book. This really is an homage to um boys in our complexities yeah i love that because i think that actually uh fits uh with this question that i had because you pose a dilemma that's one of your poems a dilemma but there's two kind of so uh mere or complementary images in here so i'm just going to read dilemma real quick if you don't mind because then it'll like uh open this a dilemma if you feel a voice like a leech in your throat and that voice is your drowned brothers. And from it, you hear, come, come closer. From I feel that dusk, where every spring, a single cardinal drops from pines to paint the dark, its plume, a flash of fire. Do you recede into the swelling blur to offer back the bird or torch it over the fertile earth to feed a dormant flower? So one, I love that poem. And I, and I love that it's a single <clears throat> sentence, but it's, and yet it's two questions or it's a choice. Because <clears throat> I think, like you said, this book is about boys and in, in a way celebrating the, that complexity and, and everything about them which it can be both violent but also nurturing because <clears throat> there's two moments in this book I can't find them right now because my notes are everywhere in here but <clears throat> there's a moment in one of the poems it's somewhere around dilemma <clears throat> where you mentioned like your son swung at a bird with a bat in there and then there's a poem in the back where I uh, can't quite remember the setup but I think you see a bird uh, get hit by a car and and you run over to it to try to like resuscitate it and then there's also a moment where i think it i think you mentioned it's your daughter who i think it's that same moment when uh your son hits the bird but she tries to like save the bird and like uh ties up wow. to a tree to, yeah. so i think that those fit perfectly with with the dilemma because we have the dilemma in action there where it's like which which way do you go and you have <clears throat> structure this book so well where we, we have those images uh complement each other down the line where 
it, it's different characters, but you see the bird, you know, get struck, but then you see the bird get revived and, and all, you know, poor birds sometimes in, in these things. But I love that the dilemma kind of works itself out in your images in here where, like you said, the celebration of, of boys and just living, just growing, just all, all these things and going from kind of violence to nurturing to kind of seeing, uh, you know, wanting to change their ways and then seeing other people care or respond to their, to their own violence and how that kind of can change them as well. So I, yeah. I love, I love the kind of change that uh, you demonstrate as these poems go through and the working through that dilemma even. Yeah, I, I think that there's also, I love that you talk about the birds. You say, you know, me too. Sometimes I read the book and think poor birds. Um, but I wanted to be real about, you know, there's just, there's there's so many layers to the book. And what, I think one of the macro layers is the sort of ecocentric um, concept of like decay attached to humanity, right? So um, that's kind of in the background as well. And so that's why sometimes, you know, I tell myself these things have to happen in these poems in order to sort of describe um, the speaker's experience, but from like a macro level too. So there is a sort of eco aspect to the book too, and decay of nature attached to humanity. And, you know, um, so the birds are revived and dying and revived and dying. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like, I, like, you know, I was a pretty tender boy, to be honest. Um, I grew up with just my mom, my two sisters. And so my dad, who was a rather ruckus difficult man wasn't living with me from about the age of eight on um and uh and so i had this dichotomy of masculinity and you know what it meant to be a man kind of in my life I had my father who was a rather aggressive sometimes violent difficult uh, um man dealing with addiction and then um his own past and then i had my mom and my sisters trying to raise up this man um think not to sound you know too old school but with like more of a tender maybe feminine nature um and uh and so i think that, that that's what a lot of that comes through in the book as well is like there are these the boys are these um these these uh you know creatures of complexity and um sometimes we're the ones trying to save the bird and sometimes we're the ones poking the bird. Um, and I think back to my boyhood and I'm like, man, all the times I spit in like a, uh, an ant colony, essentially drowning like thousands of ants and thought it was fun. You know, I mean, it's like sometimes kids just do things cause we're inquisitive, you know, we're not at our core violent or terrible, you know? And I, and I love that that comes through to be honest, you know, and um, it's probably the most political you'll ever hear me get in anything, but um, I'm so tired of these starched camps in life where it's like, all oh, boys need to, you know, act like this now. And it's like, mm, no, like there's, there's natural aspects of boys that are going to do some violent things growing up, but it's that inquisitive kind of intrigue. It's not, it's not because they're violent at their core. Yeah. Sense. Yeah, uh, definitely. Cause the, the kind of a, uh nature that you're describing here reminded me a lot of uh, Utah. I didn't grow up in Utah, but I went to school in Utah in a small town in Utah. So there's a lot of that, that kind of ruralness or, or country kind of this farms and everything. Uh, and you saw a lot of that with the uh, either hearing stories of how the people who still live there and grew up there, like how they grew up or kind of knowing 
some of the young kids around there that, right. that yeah, definitely the, the kind of inquisitiveness that sometimes would, would uh, present itself as kind of frightening if you just hear the stories, but, right. but then you hear how they kind of developed into grew up into just like fine people who aren't. Right. Aren't right. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. It, it definitely reminded me of, of that. Yeah. There's one poem in here I want to ask about because it stands it stands out so much from the way the other poems look. It's it's sweet, a little sweet of its own, and the very short kind of prose poems. But parakeet, like, oh. uh, how did how uh, what's kind of the the motivation for for how you presented this one? Because it's so radically different from the other poems in this book, but it, it has that. I think the shortness and everything works for the kind of dreamlike quality that the poem is evoking but i was just wondering how you kind of settled on this uh style for it that's a great question you know part of it was just creative play uh if i'm honest uh just to give some diversity aesthetically or, or spatially to the book uh but but also um i did want to give the scattering concept of like a flock of birds you know, um, there was that going on in the background. Uh, so each thought is sort of like, in a sense, like a little, like a bird on a page, um, which is why they're all hovering up, up above. I had somebody ask me that question and I, that was why I kept them all in the same kind of spot on the page was just the sense of hovering or flying. Um, and uh, I, I also think that when I first wrote the poem, it was actually one poem. Um, just one typical kind of classic poem and it worked uh but but there were such extensive leaps in time or in thought which is what you see now on the separate pages that um I, even as a poet who loves to leap and loves pivots um it felt a little little distant or a little too much of a leap i guess for each section and so uh I felt like I should allow each piece to kind of, in a sense, be its own little prose poem. Um, but obviously they all, with, with them all interconnecting under that same title. And then kind of coming to that closing piece or section that kind of sews up a lot of the energy of the whole piece. Yeah, I love that. So I'll get you out of here on this if you want to read um, a closing poem for us real quick. Sure. I mean, there's a lot I could read here. I'll read, um, maybe I'll read one of the later ones when the, um, just to give folks who are listening a chance to hear some of the more paternal pieces from the speaker. Um, and um, I think I'll read the last poem, which is just the sort of, it, I think it closes. It's, it's when you read the book as a whole, it's like the end cap to the, to the book. And it's got everything going on that we're describing, and then it ends with this sort of urgent call from the father to this to the to the new son, so to speak. So I'll, I'll read that one, and it's in uh, um, it is in one, two, three, four. It's in four sections, so I'll pause between each section. Dark, from Malachi. If you come to where the thorny pears grow along the one-way road and crouch beneath the sticky shade that draws out spiders and wasps and children playing chase in the dying light, you'll witness, if lucky, the buck my father failed to shoot sip from fading streams and freeze when salt winds finger oaks that purl loose 
supple flowers. Soon the winds will die and the blossoms settle and the leaves will shimmer liquid bruise while geese grow wild with drunken gossip and capsize in the dark. As a boy, I placed my palm on the belly of a drowned mare and marveled as meat wasps entered its eyes to thrum with frenzied feast. I thought of my mother, shoeless, shifting the reeds, the rasp of her call as she chased a child who moved through darkling mirrors. I held my brother's name in my throat and hid at night when woken by birds milling around the attic. My mother liked to tell me there were angels swapping nightly news, their heavy wings of light. And if I craned my head and listened real closely, I could hear them swivel sugar and tea and snort when falling asleep. In the steady dark, the crickets cracked the quiet with their calloused acoustics, and you were thinking now of loss. How the body is a busy depot where people stop to share a secret or write a letter or weep for a lover who's no longer near to kiss their eyelids closed. Is the sting in your stomach an unbearable storm? Have your legs gone weak with regret? Listen, if you climb the eucalyptus by the ghost house and sit on the high branch studying robins, you'll watch the mother come at dusk to feed her babies and float above their mouths. They will cock their heads and cry until the mother stops to fall asleep, one eye guarding the nest. Your hands will itch to squeeze, my son, snap their necks and be done with it. But I'm warning you, not to. You will play that image again and again, and your hands will fill with want again and again, and for 40 years, you'll feel her hover, asking for the dead. Oh, fantastic. I love that poem. I love the <clears throat> angels uh, swiveling sugar in their tea and the, the eucalyptics by the ghost house. So many great moments <clears throat> in that poem by itself. So Luke, thanks for, for joining me. Uh, if you uh, wouldn't be, be so kind, if you want to remind us how to get in contact with you again. Yeah. So I, um, I'm on the, uh, um, I'm on the X, uh, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> that's how us poets have to do it these days. So you can find me on there at Luke's rant. I'm on Facebook. Uh, you can find me on there. Also all the social media channels on there. I, I do have a, a, a website that needs to be updated badly uh luke johnson poetry.com uh but yeah you can find me on there and uh say hi or ask a question or talk poetry whatever you want to do so yeah that's where you can find me yeah definitely feel definitely reach out to luke if you want to talk to him he's very uh open i i, I just messaged him to be, to be on this so he, he's very personable so he's very don't be afraid he, he's a buff looking guy uh but he's very friendly <laughs> <laughs> yes please yeah don't yeah, don't be scared so uh luke's book quiver out with text review press the book itself uh where to buy it will be linked in the description along with all of luke's socials his website all that stuff along with the poem that i mentioned uh memory from one arc so i think everyone should read that so i think it's a great <clears throat> accessory piece to to comprehending this book as well so i'll, I'll throw that then in there as well as a little uh a little filler i mean bonus content <clears throat> so luke thanks for join me here thanks brother and i'll see you uh, everyone who's watching see you guys in the next episode so later <laughs>